morning, church. Everybody's doing well. My name is Joey Fennell. Serve as one of the pastors here at Connection. Excited to be with you this morning. Uh, Brandon and Susan and the boys uh, went skiing this week. You might remember him talking about that. And they, they skied all 13 slopes that were open and uh, got done with that. And I think he's ready to be home. They actually just got on a plane a few minutes ago and are on the way back and uh, praying they had a good, good, restful time while they were there. Um, week before Christmas, always a fun week, right? Hope everybody's decorated, got all their decorations out and ready to go. Um, as you recall, uh, I think it was last year that um, I had to rededicate my life after Christmas because um, I threw my Christmas tree in the yard and um, after it fell a couple of times. So, and we live next to the Christmas tree farm. I hear the chainsaws going and I just kind of smile internally as I hear people taking their trees home and I look at my artificial ones in the house that are permanently mounted through the hardwood floors and uh, we just take a plug out and stick them in there and they ain't going anywhere. No, I'm kidding, we don't do that. We glued them but, um, and tied them off to the walls and all that. But as we get ready for Christmas, it's a fun time, so we got finished decorating and, and didn't have to, to lose my religion on anything so far, you know, other than Garland. Garland is hard for me. I don't know why. Just can't get it quite right. But finally got all that done, excited about it. And I guess you're here because um, always a little bit of a down Sunday, even though it's service day and it's our, one of our biggest Sundays of the year. Attendance seems to get down a little bit, and that's because none of us... We're invited to Christmas, I'm assuming. Nobody invited us to go anywhere this Sunday. So hopefully towards the end of the week you'll be able to go somewhere or somebody come to your house and have a good Christmas and excited about it. But being that it's service day, we're going to be talking about service. And this is the third week of You Came, and we're going to be in John chapter 13 and spend some time there in verses 1 through 17, which is a, a, a very well-known passage, very well-known story where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And just for you to, to prepare for after the service, we're going to have wash basins in the atrium for you to wash each other's feet. Just kidding. <laughs> Some of you are like, roast is burning. I got to go. I'm out of here, right? We're going to talk about the meaning of it, though, and talk about what Jesus, what we kind of interpret as, as Jesus' intentions and, and how Paul reacted, I mean, Peter reacted, and, and several others in this story. So really excited about sharing it uh, with you. So turn with me to John chapter 13. As we go through verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and they had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. 
Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. You understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray together. Our God, we are thankful for the morning. We're thankful for the work that you are already doing in the hearts of those who were here earlier. We're thankful, God, for the work that you're doing and preparing people that we're going to, to be able to bless this afternoon as we take meals and, and gifts to so many families. God, we, we love that opportunity and we, we relish in the moment to be able to serve our community. But God, we pray right now that as we break open your word that it comes to us like a two-edged sword, that it pierces our heart, it divides the things that need to be divided in our own souls, God, that it speaks to us in mighty ways, that your word becomes real and miraculous. So God, let these words be your words today. We thank you, God, and we love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So what is actually going on here in this story? What is, what is this scene really look like and, and what's happening here? See, foot washing was, was practiced in the Jewish and Greco-Roman cultures in those contexts, and this was a very, very common thing. But it had three main functions, and how it was being used was where it fell into these functions. The first main function, of course, was personal hygiene. Just clean your feet, people. Just clean up and get, get right, right. So it's just a personal hygiene thing. The second one was an act of hospitality, of being a host and serving those around you. And the third, at times it was used in a cultic act, um, in a cult-like type of atmosphere. I think we can agree that in this context it was definitely one of hospitality, that Jesus um, was being hospitable. He was hosting his disciples. The foot washing was something you would do personally or at times a servant may do it for you. But you got to understand the context of this. When I was growing up, we, you know, if we went different places and played and all that kind of stuff and, and it got nasty, you came home with something called grocery store feet. I don't know if anybody else knows what grocery store feet are, but if you're in your 40s, you know what grocery store feet are because when we went to the grocery store, there weren't signs that said no shoes, no service. You just went in there like you were, just nasty kids, right? And drag your feet through there and you come home and your feet are black on the bottom. I mean, just, just nasty, right? Well, think about that in the context of this day. They didn't have, you know, Nike Airs or these nice shoes to keep their feet clean and there were no paved roads. So, you think about they were either barefooted or in some type of sandal, just some type of piece of material that was underneath their foot, between their foot and the ground. So they were calloused up. I mean, they had like toe jam, I mean, just straight funk up in, these, in their feet. And that's what was coming into the house, right? So it wasn't like that Jesus was removing their, their nice 
um, boots off of their feet and they had these, you know, pedicured feet and all that was really, really nice. They were straight up nasty, all right? So let's just get that context. If you got foot problems, go ahead and throw up next to the person next to you. That's fine. Just get it on out. But understand the context of this, that Jesus is, is, is putting himself in a situation that even individuals didn't want to wash their own feet, much less did you want to wash somebody else's feet. So Jesus takes on both roles here as the host and the servant. When he puts on the garb and, and wraps this towel around him, he becomes that servant. But he's also serving as the host at the same time, and that, that was his prerogative. It's interesting this act was usually done before the meal ever started, but he, he pulls this approach right in the middle of the meal, which kind of makes it that much more gross if you think about it, right? They're starting to eat, hands on the food, and now we're going to pull out our feet. Just kind of nasty. But there's, there's a point to that and the, and the point that Jesus is trying to get across to them. Well, Peter's part of this story, and we know whenever Peter shows up, he usually mouths off too quickly, uses cuss words. He does things that, that are more like us, I guess. You know, just quick to think, quick to, quick to speak, doesn't really think through what he's doing. And here he is again. So why, why did Peter reject Jesus washing his feet? Well, I think there's a misunderstanding of what Jesus is actually doing here. Peter doesn't understand what's going on. And he's looking at this as an act of hygiene. He thinks that Jesus is just cleansing him and washing him. But he knows that there must be some power in it because he knows who Jesus is. He's, he's been with him for three years. So he's seen the miracles. He knows what Jesus can do. And now he's like, so not just my feet, all of me, Jesus. Let me get all of it. Wash me all over. I want all of it. Well, to have Jesus wash your Feet is to receive from Jesus an act of hospitality that decisively alters your relationship to Jesus and through Jesus to God. That's what the act was about. And Peter is locating the, the value of this foot washing and putting all the value in the cleansing power of the water and not the relationship with Christ. So Jesus answered in verse 10, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. So there's been all these commentaries and all these theologians that have argued about these verses for a long, long time. But there seems to be some unanimity about the meaning of this. That the overall bath that Jesus is referring to is baptism. And a washing represents the additional acts of forgiveness after baptism. The things that we do once we, we know Christ is our Savior, we go to God on a daily basis, maybe an hourly basis for some of us, and ask for forgiveness. That was what the foot washing represented. So what about us? Where do we fit in this story? What keeps us from receiving and experiencing the love of God personally? What makes us... What keeps us from being in that personal relationship with Christ when he's that close to us and he wants us to experience himself with us and start a relationship with us, what keeps us from accepting that or missing it all together and saying, wash me all over? We feel like we have to earn it, I think, sometimes. It's what culture tells us, that you, nothing comes for free. Pull up your bootstraps and, and get the job done. Earn it, and it will come to you. I think accepting the gospel at face value is tough because it defies everything culture tells us to do. Just a, a few nights ago, my, my son was going with some, some, a friend of his, 
And they were going to look at lights, and then they were going to go back to, to their house and, and eat. Well, the, the family came over to get him, and when they came into the yard, Lisa and I went outside to talk to them. And they were talking about they wanted to do spaghetti, but the mother was saying, I want to do spaghetti, but I forgot I don't have any spaghetti sauce. So Lisa immediately says, well, we, I think I got a couple of cans of spaghetti sauce. Do you, would you want me to give you one? What would you expect the answer to be? For most people, it's, oh, don't worry about that. We'll run by and get some. She's like, yeah, that'd be good. And I thought about that, and I was like, how unusual is that? How unusual is it for us to accept help from someone? Why is it so difficult for us to, to, to receive someone's blessing? We're so good at stealing other people's blessings from them, thinking we're being polite. Oh, no, no, no don't worry about it. I got it. I got it. I know my leg is severed, but I got it. I'll, I'll just I'll take care of it myself. It's okay, really. If it bleeds out, it's, it's okay. It's okay. But we, we, we treat it that way like it, it's such a burden. Because I know one of the, the worst four words that I can hear when I walk into a store, can I help you? Oh, no, I'm just looking, right? Like they're going to pull my wallet out of my pants pocket, you know, and just take it and go, oh, you're buying this, 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 this. No, please, you know, try and not make eye contact. And I was in retail in high school. I did it. It should have some type of respect for them. But it scares me to death. I don't want no, because I'm also a guy and I know what I want. I don't need any help. I'm going to get it. I'm coming out. I'm not shopping, right? So <laughs> it's unusual for us to accept that help, that help, you know, especially on a car lot. So what happened in Peter's heart? What happened inside of him when Jesus washed his feet? Well, I think when the love of God becomes personal to us, it's then that a lifestyle of service really overflows. God desires a different kind of service from us. You know, saved people serve people. When we experience the love of God, we want to serve people. Served people serve people. And missional people serve people. And missional meaning that we are on mission for Christ. We are listening to God and we're doing what he says. And that's what he desires for us. We go back to verse 17, the very last verse says, Now that you know these things, now that Jesus has taught this lesson to them, you will be blessed if you do them. If you do them. But for so many people, serving is a burden, not a blessing. Why is that? Why is serving such a burden? I think it's a heart issue. I know it's a heart issue. It's a great indicator of, of the health of our relationship with God when it comes down to it or having a problem serving, or it becomes a burden, then it, that's not a time issue. It's a heart issue. It's very interesting that this is the last teaching of Jesus. This is the last lesson that he teaches. Of all the things he could talk about, of all the things that he could do, he washes the disciples' feet and serves them. This very last act. What would your life look like? What, if, what would my life look like if we just simply Follow Jesus. We read the Bible to know him and followed his teaching. What a blessing. So why do we serve? Why should we serve? Well, the first reason I want to talk about is we serve because it guards our heart. We serve because it guards our heart. You know, our culture focuses so much on self-service. So what I did this week is I decided to, to, to go to, you know, the the guru of all gurus for all information that is exactly, perfectly correct. 
I Googled it, all right? So I Googled top Christmas presents for 2017 just to see what's trending, right? Pretty cool word like that. So what's trending and what's being bought? Well, one of the top things was the Echo, right? We know what the Echo is? A little speaker sits in your house and you ask it questions. If that's not the epitome of self-service, I don't know what is. Next year, I think it's you just have to think it because we're going to be worn out actually having to open our mouths and ask it questions. So we can just sit there and Echo will go, I know what you're thinking, and it'll freak us out, right? But that's kind of where we're headed because we just ask it questions and it, and it tells us, gives us answers. So we don't have to even get up to go do anything. We just ask it something. Our culture consumes so much information. Now Facebook is going to help us control the information by their new button that they put in this week. Those of you on Facebook a lot, you know what it is. They've given us a snooze button, right? Because you can snooze someone that's blowing up your feed because they're telling you everything that they're doing, checking in. Just getting out of the car at the mall. <laughs> Using the bathroom. No, I don't need to know that. Stop checking in. I don't care where you are, really. But I can snooze you and you don't know it. <laughs> How about that? But Facebook is helping us control the information that comes into us. That's pretty sad that Facebook has to do it because studies show that too much following of people is not healthy. <laughs> Who knew, right? Get out of other people's business. Worry about your own a little bit. I started meddling. I'm sorry. One of the greatest stories we ever had here, and I can't remember if Brandon or, or I told this story before, but one of the first Sundays we were here, it was in February or March, and it was wet and cold, and somebody came in the back door and stopped one of our staff and said, I need you to know that I got mud on my shoes trying to get over here today. <gasps> we dragged him back to his car, prayed for him, and sent him to another church. Um, no, I, I just thought about, oh my gosh, even trying to get to the place where we're worshiping God, we become that self-absorbed and worried about ourselves rather than what God wants to do for us. It's kind of like, you know, I, I like to go to Food World, stop off at Food World on the afternoons. And uh, not every day, that's kind of shows my age. <laughs> if you go to the grocery store every day, why don't you just go once? Well, I'm just going to pick up a few things. When I go there, the one out on Highway 80 West is kind of crowded by the door. So I'm walking through there, it's cold, hands in my pockets, I'm walking, this car just comes right in front of me, literally stops right in front of the door, lets someone out, and sits there. So I walked up to the door, the driver's side, and stood there awkwardly. <laughs> and she looked up at me, looked back down, and got on her phone. So I punched her in the mouth and, uh, <laughs> and told her to move. But we, we all get into this self-consuming nature, don't we, that, that nobody else exists for us. All those parking places out there, oh, those are for y'all, but not for me. 
I'm going to park nine feet closer instead of parking in a parking place and get in your way. But we, we all get into that trap of self-exaltation, glorification, achievement. And if you're here this morning, that really didn't happen, all right? I'm sorry. It wasn't me that did that. <clears throat> we want to be served rather than serve. And that, that's what the trap that we fall into. The second thing is we serve because it makes us self-aware. It makes us self-aware. Aware of who's around us, the people who are in need around us. It keeps our lives from, from becoming all about us and becoming self-absorbed. It focuses our attention to things outside of ourselves. But sometimes it's a burden rather than a blessing. And I think the question we ask is, if it is a burden, if serving is a burden, then what is going on inside of me? What am I filling my time with? What am I filling my mind with? Because the why is the heart. The why is the heart. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. The third thing and the third reason I think we serve is we serve because he served us. We serve because he served us. He's the source. He's the starting point. We've got to understand what Christ did for us. And that's the place I think that we, we lose track so many times, even getting caught up in, this, in the busy season of Christmas or any other season, is that we forget about what Christ really did for us. He didn't just come and, and was born in a manger. That's wonderful and we celebrate it. But what did he really do for us? Jesus knew it was close to the end. He knew his time was right on the doorstep. Think about the bond he shared with his guys. He loved them so much. How much he loved them, how much he was sharing with them in this last few hours. He wanted to teach them something. All things were under his power. He could have done anything with them. He could have exalted himself, but he chose to set an example. I think the greatest leaders look to serve. The greatest leaders look to serve. So Christ set the example for our life, not to be exalted, but to serve. We go back to verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. I love this part of the text, because you see, Jesus' knowledge of his betrayer reveals that Jesus was in control of all the events up until his death. They weren't taking his life. He knew what was about to happen, and he was in control of what was about to happen. He wants us to know that through his betrayal, his death, and his resurrection, that everything was revealed about him. His full identity was revealed. The greatest will be the greatest servant. This was Jesus' last lesson. The last teaching of Jesus was that the greatest will be the greatest servant. This extremely humble, servant-like act points to Christ revealed. It points to what he did for us. It points to the model he set for us. It points to the hope he is for us, and it points to the joy he brings to us. The fourth reason we serve is we serve from our heart. We serve from our heart because our salvation prompts us to serve others, or at least it should. 
We don't serve to please God. We serve because God is pleased through us, through Christ, or with us through Christ. Once we truly understand how we've been saved, we will serve. But we have to truly understand and comprehend what that means and what Christ did for us. Because if there's no desire to serve, to share, no desire to draw closer to God and become like him, and you wonder why, there's really nothing wrong with you. You have the same disease we all have. There's just something wrong with your heart. You need a change. Selfish sinners need a new heart. As sinners, we need a new heart. Those of us who do not know Christ, we need a new heart. You know, doing what we're doing today with service day is kind of easy. Buying gifts for someone in need makes us feel better, doesn't it? But where does it come from? Where does the desire come from? We put so much emphasis into this time of year and everybody's serving. From secular people to Christian people to all other faiths, we're all serving people during the Christmas season. Why? Why do we only do that a couple of months out of the year? Why is it so emphasized during this time of year? And I think that the, the way we serve and what we're doing today is tangible. We see something happen. We see the faces of children when they receive gifts. We see the faces of people when they receive food that they may not have had. They may not have had a meal in a few days or at least a meal like we're bringing to them. So it's tangible. It's like when Lisa and I were watching TV the other night and we finished what we were watching and, and clicked back to the satellite and all of a sudden this infomercial comes up about Doctors who are in um, Africa correcting cleft palates on children. I don't know if you saw it. It's captivating. I was like drawn into it. Couldn't turn it. I was saddened at the same time. I was delighted to see the outcomes. I was like, man, I need to go get my checkbook. <laughs> send them all the money we got. Send them one of our kids. What do I need to send, you know? Trade in, I, I just felt so compelled to do something. It was so tangible, I saw it happening right there in front of me. And we get, we get pulled into those things and caught up, and they're, they're wonderful, wonderful things that we should be involved in. But why is the, the tangible nature of that so different than doing something that's eternal? Eternal, something forever, because what do we leave these folks with the day that we're going to minister to? I can tell you this, if we only deliver food and gifts, we're going to leave them with a, leave them with a full belly and something that's going to wear out. There's nothing there. Because in about five to six hours, it's going to be time to eat again. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, and once you eat of the bread and I offer you, there will be no more hunger. So that's what we have to give. That's what we're called to bring. When we see serving connection is the same, once you eat that bread and, and are able to serve others in, in a mighty way, it's not just standing around in a colored shirt anymore. Hear people say that, yeah, I'm serving this week. I'm, I'm going to serve my time. Your time? I mean, rapists and murderers serve time. Is it prison to serve at the church? I didn't realize it was that bad. So we're going to use striped shirts next year. Orange stripes, all right? 
if it's that bad. I know not everybody has that opinion, but I, I have it sometimes. I fall into that trap sometimes thinking, oh, God, I, gotta, I got to serve this week. What's wrong with my heart if I say I got to serve this week? You see that we focus everything we have on Sunday mornings here, not for the saved, but those who come in and need to hear the gospel. That's why we do Sunday mornings. We have four cultures here at, at Connection Church, evangelism, serving, community, and generosity. All four of those happen every Sunday morning without fail. They all happen here. When we serve in the parking lot, we're offering that, that first face of welcome and assurance that you're in the right place for one thing and that, that, you, that you, we want you here and we want you to find a parking place that's not up on the curb like you would maybe at Food World, right? We want to help you find a place. When we serve in guest services, we're, we're creating a welcoming environment for people to hear the gospel. When we serve in Connection Kids, we're sharing the love of Christ with, with babies through fifth grade in an appropriate way, in a safe environment, and giving you as parents the, the opportunity to be in here and relax and know that your kids are taken care of. That's what serving your kids is about. Being on the prayer team is about lifting up the name of Jesus and, and dealing with issues all throughout the week with our congregation and those who need prayer. Praying for this service on Sunday morning or people here on Saturday nights who, who walk this building and pray for the service and pray for those who, of us who are sharing the word. Pray with us before the services. It's amazing. You're working security. Kind of undercover. We don't talk about it much, right? We have... Loads of people who are on our security team that you don't know anything about. And we're going to keep it that way. But we're taking care of, of our people and making sure that the place is secure, that their kids are safe. And always alert of things going on. But more so than reacting to things, I think we should focus on the hearts of people to change them. Rather than just reacting to situations. So I want you to hear this. Please, please, please don't serve because we ask you to. Please don't do that. We don't focus so much time, resources, and energy on Sunday mornings for the saved. We do all this for the one. For you who are here today and need to know that Christ came to this earth to take your filthy feet and wash them. We do all this so that you know that he not only came to wash your feet and care for you, but then he decided that he was going to hang on a cross and his blood was going to be spilled out for you and he was going to take on your sins and my sins to cleanse us. We do all this so that you know the most important part of the story is that he busted hell wide open, punched Satan right in the throat, and then he came walking out of the grave. That's the most important part. Serve because he showed us how to. That's why we serve. Serve because you know that what you're doing has an everlasting effect on the people you encounter. How, how could we totally change the culture? of this community and the world if the reason we served was for the right reason to serve. 
because we know it has an eternal outcome, not just a meal, not just a toy. Those things are important, absolutely. Because Jesus commanded us to meet the physical needs of people because hungry people can't listen. When I'm hungry, don't talk to me. I will eat you because I'm hungry. I want to hear what you've got to say unless it's let's go eat, all right? But that's, that's what he, Jesus did. He met the physical needs way before he met spiritual needs. So we're called to do those things, absolutely. But the why is so important. Serve because you cannot help it. You have to because what Christ did for you. Everything with Christ starts with our heart. That's where I'm asking you to start. It's where I'm asking me to start. It starts with Christ and the cross. And if that's not our start, we're really missing out and it really won't last. I know that's what happens to me. I know when I, and I fail to get in God's word and I'm not prayerful, if I go to Walmart, I would rather be hogtied and dragged home behind my own vehicle than to go in there, especially from right now until Sunday, right? Y'all are crazy. I see you in there. You're crazy people when it comes to Walmart. But when I get in God's word, when I'm prayerful and I go into Walmart, the scales come off of my eyes. And I see things the way Christ wants me to see them. I see people who are hurting. I see people who are ringing my stuff up and they're dying inside. I'm aware of it. And I want to reach them because God told me to. So I go in there with a servant heart to do that. That's what Christ called us to do. That's why we're supposed to serve and the heart behind our service. We all want our lives to matter, don't we? We all want the best for our kids. We all want to get promotions and, and to be in leadership. We all want to make a difference. And kids, you, you want to be successful in your athletics. You want to be successful in school. You sometimes want to impress your parents, but, but you, you want to succeed. We all want to succeed. We all want that, and there's nothing wrong with it. But those things alone won't change the world, and they aren't what we're made for. That's not who Christ called us to be as a successful entrepreneur. That's a blessing that comes from, from, from God. But what God really called us to be is someone who will serve him and, and make the big C church bigger, bring people to Christ, show Christ to them, and share the gospel with them. That's the only thing we're called to do. We're made to build the church, the big C church, not Connection Church. God made each one of us with unique talents and personalities and skill sets. When we ask Jesus into our lives, we're given at least one spiritual gift. And we get the most joy and make the biggest difference when we use that God-given talent the way he wants us to use it. And it builds the church up. So when I, I want to challenge you with eight blessings. Eight blessings we experience when we serve others. We go through these pretty quickly, but they come straight out of Scripture. The first one comes from 1 Corinthians 12, when, when Paul compares the church to the human body, and he says that, that we're all part of this body, and, and only one part by itself does nothing, but when it comes together as a body, it does amazing and miraculous things. If I chop my hand off and it goes on the floor, it doesn't really do a whole lot of good. It just sits there on the floor. It's kind of gross but it doesn't really do anything. But all parts together do amazing things. The second thing is serving allows us to experience miracles. In John chapter two, the first miracle that Jesus ever did was when he turned water into wine at a wedding feast. 
The cool thing about this story is that the servants are the ones who saw the miracle. The people at the party knew no different. They were just drinking wine. But the servants who were serving saw the miracle. I think that's so cool. We get to experience miracles when we serve. The third thing, serving allows us to experience the joy and peace that comes from obedience. In 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Serving is a form of worship, a way to express gratitude from what Jesus has done for us and in us. The fourth thing is serving helps us to be more like Jesus. We kind of shift our focus off of ourselves that we talked about earlier through serving. We begin to see others as Jesus sees them. The fifth thing, serving surrounds us with other Christians who can help us follow Jesus. When working side by side with people, I enjoy serving side by side with different people. Some of you experienced that by working here yesterday and, and cutting up chicken, getting it ready to cook, cooking brownies and cookies and all that, serving side by side with people. We get to know people. We get to see what they're doing. We get to laugh and cry and share our stories with people. Hebrews 10 says, spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, but encouraging one another. The sixth one, serving increases our faith. As we move out of our comfort zone, God increases our faith by revealing all types of new potential. When we see what he can do with his power, it also allows us to see the open doors to go through and not the closed doors that we keep trying to open. Serving allows us to experience God's presence in new ways. Encouragement and healing go hand in hand. As we encourage others and they find healing, then we're encouraged by watching that healing happen. The eighth one, serving is good for the soul. It's good for your soul. I love this one. Kind of goes right into my wheelhouse. Studies have shown that volunteering is so good for the mind and the body. It actually eases symptoms of stress and depression. Taps into our gifts and our passions, gets our mind off of ourselves to other things. And in my office, when I'm working with individuals who, who might be, have low self-esteem, they're just as selfish as someone who's totally arrogant. That means selfish because it's self-absorbing, self-loathing. And it keeps us focused so much on self, we can't see past our own inabilities or capabilities. So one of the things I have, have folks do is Go volunteer. One of the first places I send them, hospice. That'll change your life in about 24 hours. But it's so effective. Serving is good for our soul. So we all make these rational explanations for not serving. I don't have time. I don't know what I'd do. I don't have any special skills to contribute. They don't need me. But the reality is the Lord doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And if you claim that you know Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is living in you, then you are called. Sorry, you drew that straw. If God's working in your life, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, then you are called to serve. God used men and women with similar doubts all through Scripture. Moses didn't think he was a leader or speaker. He had some sort of speech impediment according to Scripture. But God worked through Moses and brought all of Israel out of slavery. No small task. 
David was the youngest and therefore the most insignificant in his family of all of his brothers, but God worked through David to defeat a giant and eventually made him king. Paul used to kill Christians before he met Jesus. But he went on to become one of the most highly regarded and prolific writers and church planners in history. So, where are you in the story? I ask myself that question. Where am I in this story? I didn't like any of the answers. I want to be one of the insignificant ones that's not talked about in the story. One of the 12 that wasn't mentioned, that he just washed their feet, they smiled, and he went on to the next one. Looking over there kind of smug when he gets to Peter going, oh my gosh, Peter's fixing to say something stupid again. But just kind of being happy with me. But the more I thought about it, I put myself in the, in the place of, of Peter who reacts so quickly and says that, you know, no, I'm not letting you do this, Jesus. You're, I'm not good enough for you to do this to me. Oh, now I understand you want to bathe me, so give me all of it. Give me all of it. Totally missing the point of relationship. We want the gospel. We want to enjoy the gospel and get the benefits of going to heaven. But do we truly want a relationship with Jesus? Or do we fall in that category of Judas of totally betraying Jesus? of sitting in the room with him, of being present with him, acting like he doesn't know what's going on in our life. I think we can find ourselves in any of those situations at any time during our life. But I want to challenge you this morning. Those of you who are sitting here this week before Christmas, what an awesome opportunity that God is calling on you right now saying, Please, please open your heart. And I'm, I'm begging you to allow Jesus just to stoop down at your feet, remove your shoes, and allow him to wash your feet. If he did that today, if Jesus knelt right before you right now and asked if he could wash your feet, how would you react? Maybe that's a first-time experience for you, and you know that Jesus is calling you, and he wants to come into your life right now. And if that's something that you know God is calling you to do, you just simply just lift your hand right now so we can celebrate and pray with you. Anybody at all? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Might as well come over and pray with you and talk to you. There she is right there. Anybody else? Ice is broken now. Anybody else? All right, so for those of us in the room who I'm assuming know Christ, we have a relationship with Christ, I'm going to challenge you this week. Challenge you this week to really look in your hearts and, and ask, what is, what is my deal with service? Why am I not doing it? Why is my reason for doing it? Because the way I read it, that service is not a suggestion, but it's also not a commandment. What I think Jesus is saying is that you need to serve out of the outpouring of what I put in your heart. 
It's a result. Service is a result of what Christ is doing in us. And if we look at our own lives and we think, well, I'm not sure Christ is doing anything in my life. That's something we got to check on. Get in his word. Get into a connect group. Talk to somebody you know who has a relationship with Christ and get it fixed. What a great time of year to do that. So I'm going to pray, and John's going to come out and give us some instructions about service day. So let's do that right now. God, we thank you for the day. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you so much, God, for his final lesson. It just props it up to show how important serving others is. We thank you for the example you set through him. So God, as we walk out of these doors and we pick up gifts, we pick up food, and we get our maps to go to families, God, I pray that as we cross the threshold of these doors, that we leave more than food and clothing and toys, that we leave your gospel message. God, we thank you and we love you. In your son's name we pray.